1: With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Bills
2: make me wanna.
0: Throw it to the right. Intercepted. Picked off by Buffalo. Back up the sideline. Tre'Davious White, the rookie, still on his feet. To the ten.
3: And that'll seal it for Buffalo. Ooh, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bowl Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Greg Gumbel of CBS Sports calling the play of the day for White, baby. What a you know victory! I mean, we
1: we got him. We <laughs> traded with Kansas City so we could get him. <laughs> it, so.
3: it almost seems fitting that he's the one who ended their day. Now, before we get started here, I have a shout out. Christopher J. from uh, Richmond, Virginia, and Ryan Hassan from Florida. Fans from abroad. It takes a lot of guts to maintain your Bills fandom after leaving the city for greener pastures. So we here at the Rock Powell Report appreciate the kind words of encouragement that you guys have about our show. We're glad that you guys are supporters. And, uh, hey, keep doing what you're doing and let's go Buffalo. Now, we have a very special guest in studio with us tonight. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills. There's a red moon
1: rising on the Kyle Hogan River. Nate Erie. Rolling in the Cleveland to the lake.
4: They will have more wins than the Bills in twenty seventeen.
2: There's a red moon rising <laughs>
1: on the Kyle Hogan River. Hot takes of Lake Erie. Rolling in Oh,
3: Ladies and gentlemen, Nate Geary. <laughs> Nate Geary, WGR 550, Lockdown Bills Podcast. He is in studio with us tonight. Nate, how are you feeling?
4: I just drank a crow-flavored Seagrams, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> and I've got another crow-flavored Seagrams coming up.
3: <laughs> All right, folks. So those of you who didn't see the video, Nate just tweeted, just chugged a Seagrams. Yep, orange. just on Perisco. In fact, I think it was Sissy. Sassy. Sassy. Sissy. Sassy. 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 <laughs> Sassy, swirled orange, whatever it was. You can go to our, you can go to our Twitter page at Rockville Report and watch the video. I'm glad that you decided not to pull a Tom Savage and instead of running away from, you know, running right. away from things, right. you stuck around to take your medicine. So, folks, for those of you who don't know, maybe new to the program, Nate Geary came on our show over the summer and declared that the Buffalo Bills were going to be worse than the Cleveland Browns yep. this year. I I guess before you chug the Seagrams in front of you, sir, I have to ask a question. Mm -hmm. What was your thought process in making that bet?
4: I don't regret the bet. (laughs) I regret the result. I regret the result. (laughs) Um, I don't take back my bet. Uh, If I could go back, I would make the same bet because I don't regret the bet. I regret
3: the result. (laughs) The result. Well, sir... (laughs) Cheers to you. Well,
4: cheers. Right now, folks,
3: he is holding in his hand a Calypso. It's the
4: best kind. A Calypso
3: personally. Seagram's Wine Cooler. Chris, uh, what did you say that that looked like? The water at it's a... It's the water at a mini golf course. Yeah, no, that's a, <laughs>
4: it's a really great way to describe it.
3: Fantastic. Right, well. Nate, cheers. Bottoms up.
4: Okay, uh, that, one's, that one's to you, Chris. Here we go.
3: Wow, and he's putting that thing back. Yeah. So, you folks, watch the video. I don't know what... I don't know what... He was thinking when he made this bet, and what you <sighs> who, know, who who trusted the Browns franchise to somehow be more organized than the Bills franchise. But he's he's reaping what he's sown.
4: There's no <laughs> doubt about it. It's really cold, but again, I would do the bet again at the beginning of the season, knowing what I know now. I think that bet was before Sammy Watkins was traded. Correct. That? It was. It was. Well, it was.
1: You're in luck because. Next year, Cleveland and Buffalo will have NFL teams. So, you can make the bet again <laughs> if you say, want to. I was going to
3: say, if you have any interest in going double <laughs> double or nothing. I don't know. Well, not, not, today. <laughs> not today.
4: Not today. Not
3: today. All right, folks. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get right into this week's Bill's News Update. From the top, Cordy Glenn is in danger of missing the remainder of the season. Now... People who have been watching the Bills have seen Deion Dawkins fill in for Cordy Glenn over the last few weeks. And he's done well. I mean, he's been one of the most positively graded offensive linemen for the Buffalo Bills, considering how poorly some of our games up until this week have gone. However, I I believe that this is a better football team if we have two solid tackles on the roster. So it's concerning to hear that he's still struggling to even get back on the practice field. It's been brought up in the media that IR is a possibility for Cordy Glenn, and at this point, the team is faced with two options: we either keep his spot open and hope that he can come back after multiple weeks of rehab, or we put him on IR and recruit more help, you know, for the defensive line, for the linebacking core, for our wide receivers. I mean, Nate, where do you think Cordy Glenn? I mean, what do you think about this whole situation?
4: So can I tell you that, maybe we can make this a Seagram's bet, that uh, Cordy Glenn's already played his last down as a bill.
1: Really? Oh, yeah. You think he'll get traded? Oh,
4: yeah. I, th- I think he's he's a prime person to, to not have to package both of your first-round picks together. You could trade one of your first-round picks and Cordy Glenn and get in the top ten.
3: Now, fans have speculated that he'll be traded. I mean, Lars from the Bills and Beers podcast, has been beside himself. He and I have gone at it multiple times over the fact that we didn't just shove him off to the Seahawks yeah. for almost no return at the yeah. trade deadline. Now to me, I mean, truth be told, he is tradable. I'll admit that. I'll give that to you. Yeah. But to me, he's not worth like you would be trading away an asset at its lowest value. And it's, I mean, I yeah. mean essentially, and I hate to say that cause it's almost dehumanizing it. But he isn't worth much when he's injured. And I think that that's why Brandon Bean didn't do it before the trade deadline.
4: Yeah, maybe, Uh, maybe that's right. I, I don't know that it matters once you get to the off season though. Well, exactly. Specifically when you look around the league and see how bad offensive lines across the league have been playing. Mm -hmm. And when you look at in every draft, there's always one or two or three, just elite pass rushers that are entering the league every year. Mm -hmm. And there is going and. I'll be the first to say I would rather you build around an offensive line that has Cordy Glenn and maybe you move Deion to right tackle and maybe you Cordy Glenn to right tackle, which I was advocating for last year when Cyrus Quandro was here as I thought Quandro could move to left tackle and be your full-time left tackle while Cordy played right. So I'm comfortable with Cordy at right. I just don't know that with his availability, his cap figure, and the fact that he wasn't brought in with this team in this organization in this front office, I don't know. I. Cordy, to me, is a is a really easy candidate to see as a guy that's moved in the offseason. And, and just based on what I said is even though he doesn't maybe have the most value he's had over the course of his career, he's still a left tackle in the league. He's still 26, 27 years old. And this is a guy that, to be honest with you, when you look at top-notch tackles, he's He's kind of a bargain, especially moving
3: forward. Well, that's... Over it,
4: the next five years, that's going to be a bargain contract for a team if you're thinking about having a cornerstone left tackle. Is it po- is true. Is it
1: possible some team might slightly overpay, say they missed out on somebody in free agency because free agency comes Or first, even in the draft. Or in the draft, yeah. and you might, at the draft throw a little bit more than you want to?
4: I think he would during the draft. That's why I think it makes sense for me because you just think about the left tackle position. It's maybe the most valuable position on the offense in terms of trade value because there just aren't a lot of them and teams typically aren't just giving away a good left tackle. (laughs) But I think in this situation, if the Bills really are serious about moving up in the draft to get that quarterback they're looking for or if they're trying to move up the draft to get that linebacker they're looking for because I, I think those are two very Good possibilities. I don't think the Bills just exclusively trade up for quarterback. Sean McDermott might find a guy that he thinks can run his defense, and that is just as important to this team and this organization as a franchise quarterback.
3: Or it could just be another top tier pick. Yeah, it could. It could be, just yeah. be another Absolutely. pick. Or they could just
4: just move Glenn and not package it and I, I, try to get a second round pick back.
3: I'll, I'll tell you this: I see the I see the merits to all three situations. You keep Glenn. Mm-hmm. You keep Dawkins. You try to play them both. You keep Glenn. You keep Dawkins as the backup to the left tackle. Okay, you've got a great backup, but you didn't trade.
4: Uh, you also didn't the, trade up. In you did trade to get this up guy. to draft the guy. And you, you, I, I think the way you look at this is the same way you're going to look at just about every position is if the outcome, if the results are similar, mm-hmm. you go with the cheaper guy. And exactly. you always, and I think, I think Brandon Bean really. I don't know what I going to say appreciates, but I think he really values rookie contracts. And I think if you're a smart organization, that's what you value. You value those rookie contracts. Oh,
3: exactly. The, we've been doing, you know, we've we've talked about it in this podcast over the course of the last two years. The Bills were a franchise that, over under Doug Whaley that were built on free agent contracts and long-term signings. Yeah. That's not smart football. That's not that's not being a smart GM. There's a reason that all of these contracts that Whaley signed are being hemorrhaged. They're they're being let go simply because the new GM, to your point, may value cheap rookie deals on talented players with upside. It's going to be really interesting to watch this situation heading into the offseason. No doubt about it. But I just, I don't see, if he's struggling at this point after weeks and weeks and weeks of rehab and trying to get back in the field, I just don't know that there's any merit not to put him on IR. Not to put him on IR and allow him to get what he needs to get healthy. And
4: especially knowing what you have right now in Dawkins, who's playing well enough, I I think he's a very good run blocker. Mm -hmm. And I think he was even in the first game he played for the Bills. Now, the pass blocking has come around. He's been better at that. But you're right. I mean, I think if you're going to pick between the two right now, I think you'd still pick Cordy Glenn. But Mm -hmm. based on what we know about what this team values, availability is maybe more important than anything else. See, I, it really is to these to these
3: guys. To me, I and, and I always balk at that because I think like, hey, he's proven that he can pass protect. Sure. He's proven he can run block. It's going to be tough to watch him go if that is the direction things yeah, turn.
4: I agree, but I mean, you look at you look at Houston and they let go of Dwayne Brown because he wants to hold out and he, that's that's his prerogative. And that team,
3: they're also four and seven, and Savage just got strip sacked last <laughs> night. Knocking.
4: Yeah. I, I tell you, though, watching that broadcast, how many things have gone wrong for that team this year is. Yeah, it's it's very billsy.
3: What the kind it's, of what's happened to that team? Well, speaking of billsy things going wrong, yeah. wow. Kelvin Benjamin has a meniscus tear on his very first, re- like his first, like reception from Nathan Peterman in the game yeah. against the Chargers. towards meniscus. He's been called day to day by the staff, which He's out for the I, I don't believe that. He's out for the I don't understand why they continue calling him that because a meniscus tear we saw it with. Uh, with Charles Clay just a few weeks ago. It's a multi-week injury.
4: There are a lot of grades to it, though, and I guess I guess because we don't have all the information, we can't fully know the grade of which his meniscus, meniscus is torn. There, I, I think I think have saw from you on Twitter. If mm-hmm. I it was someone yep. that tweeted out the different kinds of yep. tears you could have in the yeah, meniscus, it's Kyle, it's Trimble. Kyle Trimble, right? Yeah, so there there are plenty of ways that you could tear it that are maybe more short-term injuries than they are long-term, mm-hmm. especially if you're thinking about. Um, you know this cert, it, whether or not it needs surgery. If it doesn't need surgery, I think you're looking best case scenario is Actually, typically longer, right? Yeah. Is, that, is that what we saw? Yeah, I think that's what I saw. Is typically yeah. if you don't get surgery, the it's recovery the time recovery is longer. Time. Yeah,
3: it's but, it's
1: like the same thing with
3: with with Glenn. If
1: you're out of the playoffs, just
4: shut everyone yeah, shut down. down. Shut it down. Everyone. I, shut it down. I, I agree.
3: I, and I mean, I. It just sucks because we traded for him. We tried to bring him in here because we and everyone got excited for two weeks. You gotta remember though, this wasn't a this year move. Well, exactly. So I guess here's the question, though. It puts our wide receiver chart kind of in a it's it's a tumultuous territory we're moving into. Who is the number one receiver? Who can catch balls outside their body? Who's gonna give us a mismatch over the defense? Mm. Ultimately, to your point, this trade was made for the long term. Now I've had, I've, I've listened to people bitch on social media about the trade and how it didn't bear fruit and that the trade was garbage. It comes down to a few things for me personally. I don't know if you agree with any of these, Nate, first and foremost, Benjamin is still here next season. That gives you flexibility when it comes to the draft. One of the, we're seeing it with Zay Jones. There is a learning curve to playing wide receiver in the NFL. Even guys who are drafted highly in the second round, may struggle everyone points to Juju Smith-Schuster and what he's doing over there in in but it took him in Pittsburgh. six weeks seven weeks to really get it in there, took yeah. him six weeks to get going and he's got the benefit of Ben Roethlisberger a future Hall of Fame quarterback and double
4: coverage on the best receiver in the game
3: and yeah. Antonio Brown on the opposite side drawing all the coverage so when you're a guy like Zay Jones coming to a team like the Buffalo Bills you it's it's understandable that you would struggle So do you want to go into next year's draft knowing that all you have is draft picks and maybe you'll land a wide receiver who might help you by week 10? No, you need to have a reliable option. Well, Bean just went out and got us that. We're going to have a reliable size mismatch, wide receiver number one, week in and week out, come next season. So we don't have to rely so heavily on the draft. Second of all, wide receivers drafted beyond the third round, don't have a great success rate at the NFL. No. Considering the lack of depth in the draft this year at wide receiver, there's not a ton of premier there's wide receivers. There's only a receivers. couple of guys
4: right at the top. Christian Kirk comes to mind. Yep. I mean, a couple of guys. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this isn't, the, this isn't the best year to be going out and trying to get one, and I think maybe Brandon Bean and his staff maybe knew that ahead of time Saw that. and made this move a priority thinking, well, if we can move a third and a seventh, I think is what it ended up being, Yep, you're likely going to get a player in Kelvin Benjamin that is – Significantly ahead of the curve. So let's say, best case scenario, you get a starting caliber player at the wide receiver position in the third round. Is he ever going to be Kelvin Benjamin? I think probably not. No. So I, and not only that, but you were talking about too, his, them getting his option this year. So he's going to have his fifth year option is already activated, (gasps) and he's a 27th overall pick.
3: I think his yeah. his option so his, is almost eight million. Yeah, it's not a lot. That's considering a considering
4: lot. what the option for Sammy Watkins would have been, which I think <sighs> would have been eleven or twelve. I think it was closer to like twelve five. Yeah, so you're you're talking about a he significantly lower a figure dollars. for a player that I would think is pretty comparable in terms of what you're seeing with Sammy Watkins in L.A. I mean, even without Robert Woods, it's it's crazy to think about. But Robert Woods is the number one receiver. Sammy Watkins is the number three receiver there, and he really hasn't been able to have much of an impact there. And no. it, it's not even. And I mean, you saw that. I, I thought he had a tough play last week too. That interception that he basically just gifted to the defensive back. But yep, yeah, Sammy Watkins. I, I mean, Cooper Cup is really the number one right now. And, and to think about that in the grand scheme of things, and the Bills getting a second round pick and EJ Gaines, who could potentially Resign be their there, I'm sorry, third round, our, pick,
3: third round pick. Yes. And EJ Gaines. No, no, second round pick was it? And EJ Gaines because we we talked about it here on the show. Right. It was the highest. Return on a wide receiver trade in the last decade. Yeah, yeah, because we went back with like, with like
4: Bolden trade, and he's not signing back yeah. there either. He's going to no, be a free agent, and, and they, that's
3: the thing. Like if, talking
4: if, about if, it, think about who where where's Sammy Watkins going. I, I don't know. Like, there's not a lot of I don't know. Sammy Watkins is having sort of a very nightmarish career if you think about it for his first four years.
3: Well, I'll tell you this from a fantasy football perspective. One of the things you always see when you look at Sammy Watkins. If you if you try to break it down into an average, his points scored, he seems like a very good wide receiver. But yeah. if you take it on a game-by-game basis, Sammy a Watkins, basis, yeah. 60% of his points get scored in three or four games. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. He, that's all he gives you. Right. you. You can't win on a week-to-week basis like that. And I feel like fantasy football, yes, it's not real football. It, it doesn't always correlate to what a player gives you on the field. But in terms of a wide receiver... What you're seeing is a wide receiver who doesn't consistently week in and week out give you production, right. which isn't something that you pay top dollar for. You just don't.
1: I believe during the uh, Giants Rams game a couple weeks ago, he had two targets. He caught one of his targets, one for
3: set for sixty six yards and a touchdown. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's what you're going to get out of Sammy Watkins. Yeah, either that's he hit or miss. Either he takes it all the way, or, or that's, it. that's yeah. it for him. Yeah. So it's. I feel like fans out there who want to press the panic button and say, oh, well, this trade was this trade was bullshit, this trade was terrible. Take a deep breath, relax, and look at the big picture because you might miss the forest for the trees here. Now, tr- talking about missing the forest for the trees, Sean McDermott still continues to be gun-shy on picking a starting quarterback. Is he kind of lost in this quote-unquote process? As far as trying to identify the best players on his roster? Or does he? Or does this approach of his have any kind of merit? Now, this I, is something I want to pick your brain about, Nate. You're th- a quarterback. Guy. I
4: think he's at a place where he just really does not think Tyrod Taylor's good. I, I, I think that's where he is. I think he's at a place
1: where he's like. Yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, right. I
4: mean, he, I think he's at a place where he would. Again, I don't think he regretted the decision. I think if he could do it again, I think he really would make the change again. Again, I think he. everybody wanted a different outcome, of course. Nate Peterman wanted a different outcome. Every Bills fan wanted a different outcome. But the idea that he's going to go back on why he made the change and why he made the change is he thought he was going to be a more decisive quarterback, a guy that's going to get the ball out quick. I mean, Tyrod is ranked something in the 30s, 35th <laughs> amongst quarterbacks out of, out of 40 that are. I think are – are
3: Have have played significant have, right, snaps in sniss- so many passes.
4: Of getting the ball out. He's – physically taking a step back from last year in a year where everyone's like, he's got to get rid of the ball. This year it's worse. And you think about that Jets game, and I go back to that, and the seven sacks in that game. Does Nate Peterman get sacked seven times? I don't know. But is he throwing the interceptions? So you kind of have to almost look at it like Sean McDermott really just thinks he can't win with Tyrod Taylor. I think that's obvious. I don't think he thinks he can win with Tyrod Taylor. Mm -hmm. And considering his roster, I think he was thinking he needed more of a point guard and not someone who needs the ball in his hands to be successful. And for tight for Taylor, like he needs to have the ball in his hands, but for a long time for him to make decisions. And he just doesn't have the offensive line for that, and he doesn't have the weapons around him that are going to really get open past two or three seconds. Like that's supposed to be teams that, that's mm-hmm. supposed to be the nightmare scenario for the defense. Yep. That's what defenses are planning around. They're planning around scramble rules now. And when mm-hmm. that's the case. And you can't succeed within the confines or like the actual principles of an offense. It, it was, it was a clear decision. It was either change the offense or change the quarterback. They chose the easier portion of that, which is change the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I still agree with the move. It was the easier of the two after a literal. I mean, it was one of the worst performances by a Bills quarterback during the drought in that Saints game.
3: I mean, he threw 56 yards and there's right. no, I made fun of Jay Cutler he threw like earlier. 12
4: yards in the second half and he played a quarter and a half
3: earlier this year. I made fun of Jay Cutler for throwing 96 yards in a game that they won, but they ultimately <laughs> yeah. won. And I could, cause the Titans just Matt Castle started for them. Right. Bumped. But the fact is, Jesus, you look at this and you say, Hey, if the coach doesn't have confidence enough in this quarterback to say, unequivocally he said hey Tyrod was my guy and then for three straight games he showed Sean McDermott why yeah you know I've heard a lot of stuff going on in social media or even just the Bills fans that I know who say oh well McDermott he's got you know he's a flip-flopper and he doesn't really know what he needs no he, it's not that he doesn't know what he needs he just thought he saw something
4: I think it's and really rather he taken, knew what he
3: wanted and it got taken away from him yeah and he said okay I'm not going to sit through another 56 yard performance. I like that in a head coach. I like a guy who sees something that he's appalled by and says, Hey, I'm not going to be a party to this.
4: Yeah. We are better than this. We're better than
3: this. And, and you know, for what it's worth, better or worse, him not committing to either one of these quarterbacks going forward and just saying, Hey, we're going to take it on a week by week basis for, for the Bills fan base out there who's freaking out about it right now. Understand that this is a coach who finally seems to recognize what most coaches who have lost here in Buffalo failed to grasp is that when your team isn't good enough you have to admit that yeah. and you have to have a real drive and desire to want to be better you and have be to be
4: willing to do anything it takes thank you yeah. you
3: have to be willing to do what it takes in order to get there you have to experiment you have to try with different try different things because if you don't you end up just repeating the same mistake that everybody before you for 17 years has made right Regardless, Tyrod Taylor was our starter this week. And I'll tell you, it, <sighs> watching the game was something else. Folks, that brings us to our week 12 recap. The Bills 16. The Kansas City Chiefs 10. Woo! They suck. The <laughs> Chiefs.
4: The Chiefs do. The Chiefs are better. Gotta
3: win on the road. Here are our as as we always give the stats of the game. First and foremost, Kansas City rushing. 55 total yards. Hunt, 11 attempts, 17 yards, a 1.5 yards per carry average. Tariq Hill, 2 attempts, 13 yards, a 6.5 yard per carry average. Alex Smith, 5 attempts, 35 yards, 7 yards per carry. The Kansas City offense, 15% third down conversion. Tight ends, Kelsey and Harris. Only players with plays of 25 or more yards.
4: And it was really only Harris. <laughs> I know because Kelsey was on my fantasy team.
3: <laughs> <laughs> 46% of all drives went three and out. LaShawn McCoy, 79 total yards, 100% catch percentage. 24-yard long reception.
4: I think it was something along the lines of the Chiefs went four or three and out in their first five drives and didn't have a first down until the three-minute mark of the second quarter.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. This game, folks, was something else. I mean. You're missing the best part. What's that?
1: Tyrod Taylor, 19-29, to 29, 183 in a touch. I mean, making checks at the line, dropping dimes over linebackers in front of safeties. Running RPOs. Holding the safeties right. in the middle of the field on deep throws. <laughs> I mean, you, either one of you assholes, you tell me another quarterback that had a better game in the NFL on Sunday than Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> Not I'll, I'll wait. Not Blake
3: Bortles. <laughs> Blake Portal's actually rushed for two touchdowns, which I would take.
1: I got to stop getting my information from first things first, undisputed, and first. Thing
3: first. Yeah, absolutely. You do. <laughs> yeah, you do. So, so shut your mouth over there. <laughs> Shut your mouth and run the board. Sunday's game was fantastic in the sense that I was hung over from an Alabama loss. And told everyone Worried. in my base, told everyone in my basement watching it with me, that I wasn't going to yell. I wasn't going to raise my voice. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and then I was about five beers in, and about the third quarter, and it just kicked in. I got excited. Fandom. The rage. Hit it's because fandom. Your rage kicked the, in. The fandom. Well, yeah. It's you could confuse my fandom for rage, but. It kicked in in about the third quarter, and by the end of the game, I came unglued. I when Tredavious White picked that ball off, I might have kicked some things over. When it comes to recapping this game, though, I got to start in one place with people. First and foremost, fuck Rick Dennison. <laughs> okay, fuck that guy running, sober, inebriated, maybe just filled with rage. I have been calling for Rick Dennison's head since the Broncos game.
1: No, no, no that's no week two.
4: Whatever, whoever we Since played in week, week, week two, <laughs> two.
3: Whoever we played in week two. Was that the Broncos? No, 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 that, no. Was, that was Carolina. That was, that was week three. This week wasn't much different. I mean, there was multiple times that the decisions made from a play-calling perspective just didn't make any sense. Here's an example. The decision to run three times on our final offensive possession. I don't give a fuck about killing timeouts. The fact that they called a designed pitch play on third and long in that position tells me that they don't trust Tyrod Taylor to use his arm. They don't. Our offensive coordinator has no faith in our quarterback. That's a problem. That's a recipe for disaster. Because it forces him to be conservative in places where you really need to go for the jugular. I'm sorry, you need to be an aggressive football team. I
4: just so happened to be also watching Red Zone while I was watching the Bills game at the studio. And, um... I was watching the end of the Titans-Indianapolis game. Mm -hmm. It was third and four. There was a minute 39 left, Mm -hmm. and the Indy had no timeouts left, and they ran a short like little screenplay to DeMarco Murray. Ends up getting the first down. They finish that game out, and 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 Indy never gets the ball back.
1: Yep. I mean,
4: Marcus Mariota has been pretty bad this year. But you
3: throw the football.
4: But you throw the football. And it was a very safe play. So even worst case scenario, they don't make it. That's the my, clock's still running anyways. That's
3: my point. You you drop something safe, but you put the ball in your quarterback's hands because that's how you win football games.
5: That is how you win. I yeah. mean,
3: I'm 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 starting to firmly believe, to your point, McDermott and Dennison just simply don't believe that Tyrod Taylor's the guy. But even, da- even more damning is that I don't think Dennison has any creativity to his play calling.
4: He has no ability to hide anything that Taylor's not good at, which Thank is at you. least what Anthony Lynn and what Greg Roman were able to do in their time here was at least to an extent hide his issues inside the pocket. And yeah, I mean, those just aren't
3: those aren't there right now. I mean, I watched the Rams game after the Bills game ended. I will tell you that.
4: You wish you had Sean McVay?
3: I saw real (laughs) offensive Me Too. What I saw out of that game was real offensive creativity. Okay. Formations and looks that they utilize that are just not only interesting to see, but they're extremely effective. You watch how their offense has transformed. They were a basement team in the league last year, and now they're one of the best well, in football.
4: Jeff Fisher no longer has his hands all over Case Keenum and J- Jared Goff and that's why both of them listen, I was really convinced Jared Goff was a bad quarterback and I thought they really really missed on that like big times considering that was this was before Carson Wentz had a season this year and I'm like, wow, they really really fucked that up. But to be honest with you, I it really it, you can hide what a quarterback can't do with a really Thank good you. offensive coordinator and Sean McVay <clears throat> is a brilliant offensive coordinator. If you don't believe me, just ask Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins in that offense this year are struggling, considering where they were last year.
3: I, I no here's you know and you're not wrong because when I when I watch them play, what I see is that like a lot of people will point to oh well they have Jared Goff and Jared Goff's a good quarterback. He no, what month, it is is you know,
4: seven months ago. <laughs>
3: they're giving comp they're giving exotic route combinations yeah. different formations they're a
4: passing offense
3: different formations that defenses don't really know how to acclimate to there's th- you've got an offensive coordinator who's throwing new wrinkles the kid is 31 years old he's younger than i am do you know how mu- how much that hurts my heart to yeah, watch should. football and know that a guy a year younger than me is standing on the sideline as one of the most innovative offensive minds in football right now?
4: It's really – got to get your
3: resume. And then I have to, it
4: it goes, goes back to something for me because you look at what McVay did when he got the job. The first thing he did was bring in Wade Phillips, who's maybe the most experienced defensive coordinator, uh, assistant coach you could possibly bring into a situation. And it's so smart because now everyone wants to talk about how during the defensive series he's over on the sidelines game planning with the offense. He's not even up at the on the sidelines watching yep. the defense. Like I love that. Like I, I personally wish that McDermott could have brought an offensive mind here that could have just taken the offense and McDermott could have worked with Leslie Frazier. McDermott could have worked with his defense more because I just think I just think when you look at Rick Dennison, I mean, he's made a career off of Peyton Manning. And, I mean, a couple other – I mean, Matt Schaub one year who the, was really good
3: in, in – The biggest thing for Arian me – Arian Foster. Like, that's it, how he's got a when job. When it comes to Rick Dennison, the biggest thing for me is that everyone keeps pointing this idea of a new quarterback. A new quarterback, whether it's free agency – I'm not comfortable the, with him touching – Whether it's the draft. And that's my point. How comfortable are you with a guy who's still running high school-style offense in the NFL – Touching a fresh a fresh quarterback and molding him into an effective, you know, every week starter and uh, eventual Super Bowl champion. I don't have any faith in that. you don't your, have any. You're faith gonna
1: in get that. like a, a. You're gonna get the same result as Jeff Fisher with Jared Goff. Yeah. and that's my point.
3: I'm afraid that that's where we're headed with Denison, and so I'm I'm calling right now. I want to cut bait with this guy as soon as possible.
4: I'd like to too. I, I there's a. I I would like to have somebody maybe if at the college level come up. I, and, I'm, and I just, I just, I need a coordinator. I need an offense that's forward-thinking. I need them to do, this is, I, for once, offensively, specifically, I'd really like the Bills to do something that other people aren't doing. I'd like them to start with something that says, hey, that might work, but it might not. We don't know. Opposed to, hey, <laughs> we know the zone run game. Like, it's not pretty. You have to have specific players to run it effectively. And, oh, you don't have those players. But you know what? <laughs> We're still going to run it. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully our defense turns the ball over three times a game. All
3: right. So for those of you out there who think this is all going to be doom and gloom, it's not. I mean, the Bills fucking won. They sure Let, did. Let's revel in that. Nate, cheers. You know what? Cheers. Chris, cheers around the tables because the Buffalo Bills won a game. They won. We all expected them to lose. For me, on the winning side of the ball, it starts with special teams. Reed Ferguson. One of the brightest spots of the day <laughs> snaps. had to be the Bills' special teams. The, Colton Schmidt, probably one of his strongest games that I've seen out of a punter. I mean, yeah. and that's and that's a lot to say. Yeah, he's hey, not the, getting those punts off. He bad last Reed year. Snaps on the, the ball. <laughs> I know. On you, point. Chris, just say it. I love Reed one time. So we I can love you, over. Reed. <laughs> there it is. We got that out of the way. <laughs> Colton Schmidt had probably the most effective game of the season that I've watched. I, I mean, per punt average of forty-one yards per punt. Four of his punts fell inside the Chiefs' 20.
4: They didn't even let Tariq Hill really touch it. No, they
3: kept the ball away from their dynamic punt and kick returners. Kept it out of their hands. Their average starting position for the Chiefs was the 22-yard line. Hmm. Okay, That means you have to go 78 yards in order to score. And even with a missed field goal, Hauschka was money, scoring nine of our 16 points. I mean, it, it's not pretty from an offensive perspective, but you have a kicker who can. Okay, so he missed the 52 yarder, but he'll get you that 56. You bet your ass. It will. <laughs> you bet your ass. He's going to fucking house money. His. He is
4: ridiculous. How how pissed is Seattle? Oh, well, I don't even think they get a right to be pissed because no, they, let they him were go. fucking stupid. It's like, their fault. They're you like, let him go. ah, he
3: missed a
1: couple extra
3: points. We'll go with Blair Walsh. Blair Walsh. The guy who effectively kicked—he took—he took—he the man who literally took the Vikings' playoff hopes, fresh off winning the division, and punted them into the stands Seriously. for the home crowd. <laughs> like
1: just—he did it against the Seahawks.
3: <laughs> they watched it. They saw that kick. And then turned around and hired that They're Like, asshole. You know
4: what? We need to get that guy. That guy really knows how to fuck shit up. And you know what? We had Marshawn. We need someone else here who's gonna fuck shit up while Marshawn's gone.
3: Ultimately, I love the fact that Hauschka's here. I mean, he's he's been invaluable for the Bills. And then the defense. I mean, I, we could talk all night about the defense. Fresh off three games, giving up the most points in franchise history. They responded in a way that I didn't think they were capable of. I mean, it starts with the linebackers. There was that Milano play. Oh, my God. Who Matt Matt Milano. Milano. Oh, yeah. Remember that guy that filled in for Humber? And then Humber came back and then Humber started playing a bunch of snaps. I mean, look at this. Here's one of the first things I noticed. In nickel package. we played a lot of nickel.
4: Yeah. In order to keep. Which is what I thought they were going to do in the first place. Yep. Remember? I don't
3: know. Matt Milano got a lot more playing time in this game in place of Ramon Humber, which is something that I've been banging the table for for weeks You know now. what else,
4: though? Lorenzo what? Alexander playing in a pass rushing role with his hand in the dirt.
3: Absolutely.
4: Thank the fucking
3: Lord. Okay, so Alexander during game. D- 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 even our win against Tampa. Both of those OJ Howard touchdowns touchdowns were Were on Lorenzo, yeah, because he was put in pass coverage. He's not a pass coverage guy. He played outside linebacker in a three-four defense. And what I love
4: about Lorenzo is just out there doing whatever he can for the team. Anything they tell him to do, right? He does. He does the best of his ability. But But I think I'm glad. And this is what Sale said. Apparently, that before the game, McDermott during the week came up to Lorenzo and said, "What do you want to do? What do you think you're?" best suited to run. And he said, right tackle. And he said, throw me in at right tackle. Do you Have you seen Jordan Mills lately? <laughs> no, he said, you know, let me put my hand in the dirt. I was a Pro Bowl pass rusher a year before, and yep. now I'm playing strong side linebacker in, in a defense I'm not built to run. So, listen, I mean, you could say a lot about Matt Milano in that game, but I think what you have to say more about is Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott's ability to say, hey, this isn't working. We're not going to continue to run our head into a brick wall. And you mentioned about quarterback. There aren't a lot of positions you can just replace a player and yep. and feel an impact throughout an <clears throat> entire roster. It's not strong side. You could have benched Lorenzo Alexander, put Matt Milano in, and it's likely not having a very big effect. Nope. You pull your quarterback, you know, it's a different yep. effect. But at the same time, I like that they are at least very self aware. And he talks about that during his postgame and, and during his weekly press conferences. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's being critical of what we do well, but also what we don't do
3: well. And then you gotta talk about the secondary. The secondary stepped up big. I mean, not just with the game-winning turnover, but also with their tackling. The Chiefs struggled offensively in the first half. And in the second half, I called it. We, we do a weekly halftime video, halftime adjustments, by Drew with five beers in him. So, <laughs> it, it, what a great title. Yeah. It's yeah. a working title. So essentially, though, they, I said that you need to be ready for them to throw different wrinkles at us in this second half because they're going, they, they, they have Andy Reid making yeah. adjustments. And what they did now was, Matt instead, all year. they doubled down on the bubble screens. That's what they did. That was their big change. They threw more screen passes and quick outs to their wide receivers, trying to get them in space and threaten us at the edges of the defense with their speed. I give a ton of credit to EJ Gaines and our safeties for tackling incredibly no well. Our defense is different when EJ Gaines is out there. It now is. during the game, I criticized him because I was like, he's he's constantly off his man. He's playing way too much off coverage and he's giving up. But too that's, much that's the call. But that's that is the, the call. call.
4: It is. Yeah. And I, I'm, Gaines, I'm equally as frustrated with that as well. Don't worry. But
3: EJ Gaines executes it perfectly because he's he a doesn't. Great zone defender. Because he doesn't miss those tackles. The moment you catch the ball, he's going to see you, he's going to hit you and wherever you are, if you got 3 yards, you got 3 yards, if you got 5, you got 5. He will never you're never going to get 50.
4: EJ Gaines is a great. And you and you know you were talking with with your guy from the Patriots there talking about how, you know, you're talking about Gilmore and like the thing with Gilmore is he's man coverage, yeah, but you know what? Like at the same time, you look at a zone, like zone's supposed to be easier.
3: Mm-hmm. No, and that's it. Zone is easy for cornerbacks. You it see is. it, and then move. it's good for rookie Read corners. React.
4: It's real good for rookie corners, but and that's no, why I Trey mean,
3: White, no, and that's why Trey White is having the season he's having, because he's in a system that yeah. allows him to see and then react.
4: You know what though? I I know we're talking about the defense, but Alex Smith, like you I'm just glad you mentioned like their second half like adjustment was let's throw more screen passes let's protect Alex Smith more. Yes. And it's like, he you was can't under fire. You can't tell me that Pat Mahomes can't make those screen passes. Pat Mahomes can make the throw downfield that Alex Smith can't. So when you're looking at it and you're like, I don't care that he's a fucking rookie. Like, well, I, think it I is- just, I, you know, that's the thing I'm going to say about Andy Reid is if I, if I was a fan of, and let me tell you, chiefs Twitter on Monday morning was going pretty nuts. Oh, I can, and, I can the imagine. things that I was retweeting. Were literal things that the bills that bills fans were saying a week before about Tyrod <laughs> Taylor about why the move was made. And It's just crazy to me that you look at that team. They're a they're a good well, football team. To
3: your point, you're they talking Patrick you're, you're talking about a quarterback who's not being aggressive. Of Alex Smith's 36 passing attempts, 32 of all of those comple- came within ten. All of those completions, 32 of those. They they still. I mean, I'm looking at. I'm just looking at the stats. They were all within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So 32 of your attempts only go for 6 to 7 yards. And you completed 68% of them. So the fact that you're throwing these high percentage passes and you got nothing during the first half, and really only a handful of first downs in the second half, what that speaks to is a defense that came in and shut you down In yards after the catch, they did. Will, they took away what you do well. We will give you. We will give away this yards after the catch machine that you guys built through your five game winning streak. You were running a college spread offense where it was a lot of dink and dunk passing and just relying on open field.
4: You know what? And, and Eric put this up on Twitter is they just ran a ton of three three five. Yep. And they just let Lorenzo be that like little. I think he calls him a rat. We used to call him a tiger yep. in our in in, in college and. That's a good position for me if 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 I'm because he's the kind of guy that can get after a mobile quarterback, which is what he did. But I think you're going to see a lot of three three five. That same defense, that zone. We're going to drop everybody back and try to get pressure up the middle. We're going to try to attack the a gap. We're going to try to attack the one two and three technique. That's what's going to happen this week. Three three five. I don't know that there's necessarily a template of how this defense can be successful because I don't know that you can rely on this running game of the Patriots to have the same ineffectiveness that the Chiefs have.
3: No, no, I don't think so at all. So that brings us, as it always does every week, to the hero and zero. And obviously my zero of the week goes to Rick Dennison. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. <laughs> I, what can I say about the letdown of Rick Dennison? I mean, maybe I start with design quarterback runs in the second quarter that resulted in almost no yards. Maybe it's the fact that you stopped challenging the team downfield, even when Thompson has the speed to do so. I mean, at the end of the day, you only scored 16 points, which rarely wins you an NFL football game. Rarely.
4: One out of every six games is going to win you at 16 points. Rick
3: Dennison isn't the answer, and I can't wait till I can personally help you come pack up a U-Haul full of your shit and get you the fuck out of my city. Nate,
1: do you have a uh, zero? A zero, yeah. Or would you just agree with Drew on Dennison?
4: I think I think Dennison's a good pick. I also think maybe. Uh, okay, the, you want to know who my zero is? Mike Tolbert, <laughs> <laughs> because holy shit, is just the level of competence that that cadets brought Cadet in has, compared yeah. to what
3: Tolbert's been able to do. <laughs> he didn't have to be out there to to look. Like he's a bad like a
4: dump-off pass to Cadet is like watching
3: gold yeah. or something oh. happen oh, it's compared incredible. to what you'd watch when that's they dumped a it a off Because that's a real backup running right. back. And on the hero side of things, who else would I pick for this but cornerback Trey White? Oh, I got one for you.
1: <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world.
3: Woo! I'll say this. Ask Chris. Our team was on the ropes, and one of my signature phrases in those in tight football games, I say it because it came from one of my Pop Warner football coaches, who wants to be the hero? In any mm. close sporting event, someone has to step up and make the play that swings the game their way. And to this point, Trey has three of them. On Sunday, he was unstoppable in coverage. According to Pro Football Focus, he had 41 coverage snaps. He was only targeted three times. Yeah. He allowed one catch for six yards and then picked the one time Alex Smith went back to him in the second half. Picked him off. Picked him off.
4: Do you want to know who my, my guy is? Yeah. Zay Jones, because of that little move that he did, the little zero gravity. The zero Z- gravity. Dude, Z- Z- <laughs> Like Like, pulls up like, like the, moonwalk. In the Matrix. Back like, to his feet. Oh, here, here's, uh, here's your Firefox. yeah so Zay Jones is my winner
3: okay this is what I'll say for Trey White I mean this is what eh, don't don't just take it from me Leslie Frazier had this to say about him after the fact
0: now I can't recall uh, a rookie being asked to do some of the things we've asked him to do this season Uh, as you know we've had to match him up on some top receivers during the course of the season and you don't usually ask a rookie to do that maybe towards the end of the year maybe but we were doing this you know early in the season and uh, he's responded you know, quite well. He's had a terrific uh, rookie year, although there's a lot more football to be played. But I can't recall uh, a rookie coming in and having this type of impact at corner uh, when he's been put you know, in the fire as quickly as, as he was. Uh, it's different than when you're just the left corner, or just the right corner, and you just line up in your spot and you learn your responsibilities. But you know, we've asked him to match up on some, some big-time guys, and he's held his own.
3: You can hear the rest of that from buffalobills.com. But ultimately that's my point and this this audio speaks so much to it. That's the defensive coordinator talking about a rookie cornerback saying, "Listen, I've thrown everything I can at him and the kid has shown composure and that's why we keep doing it. We they've put him in big spots because well, they had on, to. They had no choice. He was on the uh, 21st and prime on NFL Network in the,
1: in the post game and said that they have been running that same type of that that play. Hook, hook to curl. Yeah, there was and like the he just he just said he wanted to be aggressive.
4: That curl flat against it. the cover three. And he said he saw it a few other times in the game. And that just goes back to trusting, you know, and, and watching a ton of film and knowing that on that play. And that's the thing, like, you're, you're te- you haven't really tested him all day. And on that kind of play and that kind of coverage, it was just, that was an interesting.
1: Yeah, he was, he was way aggressive on there. Because how many times are Bill's corners just like, do they sit on that and then just make the tackle? And he jumped the route and then took it all the way down to the 10. And we just take knees.
3: I mean, Leslie Frazier hits the nail on the head. They've thrown the book at this kid this season. I I mean, he's fantastic. And Sunday, he ended that game. Yeah. Just like he has ended other games. He has come through with flash plays all season long for us to save games that seemed like they were close. I mean, to me, I can't imagine what this defense would look like without him. I hated his pick in the draft because I wanted – Ruben Foster, linebacker. Yeah, I wanted a linebacker.
1: He got so butthurt over that. He just like, why? Why? Why why would he want Ruben Foster?
3: (laughs) Oh, uh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I am an Alabama fan. I wanted Ruben Foster, but Jesus Christ, this kid has played his ass off. And I will tell you that he's he's earned not just wins for the Bills or recognition from the national scene, but my absolute respect and my apology for dissing the draft pick. I think it's criminal that he's not getting more buzz in the defensive rookie of the year race. Well,
4: I think it's just because...
3: He's Buffalo.
4: Well, Marshawn Lattimore (laughs) is legitimate.
3: Speaking of legitimate, you actually just created a fantastic segue. AFC playoff picture week 13. Now, the Bills are fresh Uh, off a win. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? (laughs) Shut up, Mora. Looking at the playoff picture in the AFC...
4: It's... Shit. Even
3: though we won, things still don't look rosy. I mean, you've got the first category, the guys who are inching towards clinching, and that's the Steelers and the clinching. Patriots. <laughs> the Steelers are cruising. They've got two games left against a team with winning records. I mean, it literally seems like they're... And you look at the Patriots. They only play four division... They, they play four division games. Yeah. Out of their last five, between now and the end of the season. And they've already proven that they're the class of the division. So... Ultimately, it seems like the Steelers and Patriots are kind of on this collision course to see who is the best in the AFC. It's the Patriots. That game is going to be must-watch TV. That's December 15th? December 15th. It's going to be must-watch TV. It is going to dictate. It's it's basically home field advantage for the playoffs, right? Yeah. It's going to dictate who wins the AFC. That's it, Mm. in my mind. Then you look at the AFC contenders. Don't have an aneurysm. (laughs) Marone and Malarkey. Oh, the Jaguars and Titans. As disgusting as it sounds, one of these teams is going to win its division, and the other is a shoe in for the wild card.
4: Wouldn't it be cool if both of them could win the division?
3: <laughs> yeah, shared titles. <laughs> both of them. <laughs> but but the you playoffs. know
4: what? I think I think after looking at a lot of it, I think the best opportunity for the Bills to make the playoffs is for the Tennessee Titans to take a shit. Because I don't think Jacksonville's taking a shit, even though their quarterback sucks. God, their quarterback's terrible. But I, I really think the best way into the playoffs is to watch Tennessee fizzle out because I think they do play a couple of pretty tough opponents down the road. They don't. <laughs> they got somebody in there. They each L.A.? each sp- They LA. They
3: will each play each other again, so there's opportunities for losses. However, they both also have games against Indy and the 49ers to counteract those.
4: I did see that, but they, they play L.A. in there, right?
3: Only the Titans do.
4: That's why I think, I think the Titans lose. <laughs> because, is, uh, gotta, uh, because, the Ravens aren't, because the, Ravens the Jaguars, are beat the Bulls.
3: no, because the Jaguars just played the Arizona Cardinals. That's how the division, uh, yeah. you, you play the other division. based on Where you finished. Yeah, yeah. They played the, they played the Cardinals and they lost, which is great. But the Titans still have a game against the Rams, which I'm hoping they will lose. But they still have games against the Titans and. But you know what, the Titans me, are bad 49ers. though.
4: Like they'll lose a stupid game. They almost lost to Indy. They should have lost to Indy. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not like giving them any wins because I don't think right. Tennessee's all
1: that good. My my one thing on that is their matchup. They play one more time if they happen to be tied and the division is on the line. They play the last week of the season. So. Let's hope that happens. So Sunday night football is Jaguars. <laughs> but Titans. you guys know. Drew gets to watch Malarkey in Maroon. You guys fight. Know. I out. would rather die. I would rather be dead. You guys
4: know, though, that no matter what happens, that the Bills aren't going to make the playoffs.
3: Well, I said you, that when well, we were 5-2. Now this is it. The people in front of us, you got the Ravens. That win on Monday night football was a giant kick Thanks in the
4: Thanks a lot, Tom Savage. Giant, giant,
3: kick, <laughs> giant kick in the sack to anybody who thought that Hey, maybe we can sneak back into this thing. We just won. Maybe we'll maintain that uh, spot. No! No! Tom Savage happened, folks. So the Ravens' win on Monday Night Football pushes us back into the hunt. With them holding the better AFC record. Their defense is legitimate. Oh, it's
4: very legitimate.
3: They consistently bring pressure. They force turnovers on the regular. It also doesn't hurt that they've gotten to play Deshaun Kaiser, EJ Manuel... A Mitch Trubisky, Blake Bortles, Jay Cutler, and Brett Hundley. They haven't played a single credible quarterback in weeks. It's fucking ridiculous. I know.
4: It's like you really wish, and not only that, but these teams' like schedules to end the season. Just imagine the Bills got to play the Browns twice. Well, that's it. It's like that's it.
3: So if if we have any hope of making the playoffs, catching these guys, it's gonna. We need to root for them to drop the next two. Against Pittsburgh and Detroit.
4: Or you just have to beat the Patriots once.
3: The best quarterbacks that they've faced in weeks are coming up on their schedule in the next two weeks. If they drop two in a row, they're right back in the middle. Also,
4: us. I just want to point out Jimmy G just got named starter in San Francisco. Yes. San Francisco. So I'm just saying, don't don't write off the San Franciscans yet, because I'll tell you what, Jimmy G and and a lot of people don't agree with me that Jimmy G is gonna be like a
3: goat. Just so we're all clear. Wow, you really have a lot of faith in this kid. Well, you know who I, I had a lot of faith in? Was Nate Peterman going into that game against the Chargers. Wow. And now they've replaced the Bills in my contenders category. The Chargers defense has been lights out over the last month. Yeah, Cleveland on Sunday Bosa. <laughs> they started 0 and 4, they've gone five and two and are now firmly in the hunt for a playoff spot. I mean, look at their schedule. It's not really a cakewalk. I mean, their last four are Washington, the Jets, KC on the road, and Oakland. But if they keep playing the type of defense that shut down the Bills and, and the Cowboys at home, they've got a puncher's chance of hanging into that wild card race. And they own a tiebreaker over the Buffalo Bills. And that brings me to the AFC Pretenders section of our breakdown. And I got to start with the Buffalo Bills. The win on Sunday was nice. The road to the postseason for us looks bleak.
4: Yeah, it's not good. You you Losing to the Jets really fucked everything up.
3: It did. And that's the thing. People want to complain about the loss to the Chargers. We were probably going to lose that game anyway, considering our track record on the West Coast. But that loss to the Jets, that loss is a loss that we had. It's right in our wheelhouse. We should have come out more prepared for it. And we didn't. We failed. We failed at all cylinders. The loss against Cincinnati, too. And well, I don't even see, but that that's a loss you can take when you are playing a team that only scored 10 points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that you firmly beat, soundly beat, and they lost to them. It's fucking pathetic to me. I'm sorry, but I look at, I look at that Jets game and it sticks out like a sore thumb. We are no longer in control of our own destiny. And even though two of the next five games are against teams with winning records. I still don't see a way out for us because both of those games are against the Patriots. You have to beat the Patriots once.
4: That, that's, that's how you get in. You, you take care of business. You beat the two shitty teams and, and the Dolphins twice in Indianapolis, and you take the one at home against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Otherwise, just lose the rest. I
3: mean, ultimately, our, de- our destiny is no longer in our own hands, and that bothers the hell out of me. And then, to round out the AFC pretenders, it's the Chiefs. I mean, We they suck. suck. They talked about Super Bowls at the beginning of the season. But they the Chiefs do. have gone into free fall, losing five of the last six. They no longer are in firm control of their division. And are on the losing end of tiebreakers with both Buffalo and Oakland.
4: It's one of those things where if you're a Bills fan, you should look to the Kansas City Chiefs as to why you just don't want Tyra Taylor anymore.
3: No, And I'll tell you this. And I'll tell That's you this. Tell you this as a Bills fan, you should be happy on two fronts. One, the Bills got to win. On the second front, the Chiefs lost. And now, are, like I said, they've won one game They're out of the last ball, six. Right. Yeah. When you look at the draft order,
1: we
4: have now we have
3: their first-round draft pick. And right
4: pick. now, as it stands, we have back-to-back draft picks. I'd love that. I'd love their, back-to-back draft their picks. Their
3: schedule, they have to play Oakland. They have to play the Chargers. They have a number of tough teams left on their schedule. They could, in theory, wind, and nine. Up, wind up gifting us a top, I'd say a top 15 pick in the draft. Maybe. I feel like the Bills have already are already trending in a direction that's going to push them outside of that. But we could end up with one by merit of having traded with the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, that's that's something to keep in mind. It's good. There's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching going on over the next yeah, few weeks. And as we do every week, we're gonna round out the AFC East. I mean, I know I couldn't talk about them because they're not in the playoffs, so we got to give them a little bit of shine. The AFC, first and foremost, the New York Jets. They played the Panthers and lost to the tune of thirty-five to twenty-seven.
1: It's a good game, too.
3: It was a good game. I mean, they they played as well as they as well as they could have hoped for right up until the end.
1: I had Robbie Anderson on my bench. Oh, I still
3: won 152 to 135. I,
4: I, he was in my starting lineup. How about, though, the Carolina
3: Panthers just go ahead and sweeping the AFC East? Sweeping the AFC East. That's impressive. That is it's impressive for the Panthers.
1: Hey, I remember when we beat the NFC North 4-0. We went 9-7 and missed the playoffs.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Through three quarters, the Jets' defense held the Panthers' offense in check, forcing them to settle for field goals. I mean, Cam Newton had 168 yards passing, no touchdowns he looks bad again. and a QBR of just fifty nine. He
4: was like ten of thirty or something like that. Something stupid.
3: I mean, their offense only accounted for thirteen of their points.
4: I know. I hope they redo that because I played Devin Funches this week. And the Jets Fantasy,
3: and so. the Jets offense got a ton of production from their passing game, Man, which Jackson came out of Cowan, nowhere. He's a baller. Anderson catching a pair of touchdowns, two for eighty. Both of them combined was eighty seven total yards. And Jermaine Curse added a short one. They threw three touchdowns, but. Mistakes cost them. I mean, look at Kalen Clay, former Buffalo Bill, runs back a punt return. Luke Keekley returns a fumble for a touchdown. And it, both of those happened early in the fourth quarter. And those 14 points were too much for the Jets to overcome. And you saw their team sag as soon as those turnovers started to happen. As soon as it happened, it deflated their entire team. I mean, for Jets fans, that's the type of performance they've been looking for all season from their team. And it should give them some hope that they're building towards something. They've got – they still, yeah, have, they got Hackenberg. They still <laughs> – <laughs> They still have pieces. And with some added talent to the offensive line and maybe to the quarterback room, because obviously they don't trust Hackenberg, they could be something in the future.
4: Yeah, they're going to get Kirk Cousins probably. But
3: with this being their seventh loss – and facing the toughest slate of games for They're any out. team in the NFL, it is safe to declare them officially dead in the playoff race. And, that's and good, I will drink to chance. that.
4: Okay, I'll agree with that. And it's it's pretty. It's probably safe to say that they also effectively probably ruined the Bills' playoff chances. So it's kind of a win for them. They didn't get to playoffs, but you know, oh
3: yeah, they still beat the Bills. So, and then Miami and New England—they played each other. The Patriots won thirty-five to seventeen. You can say pretty much the same thing about the Dolphins after Sunday's loss to the Patriots as you can for the Jets. I mean they that's it. That's their seventh loss. Put it put a fork in them.
4: They're just gone. like the just like the Dolphins.
3: Yeah, exactly. For any Dolphins fan hoping that the Patriots' defensive woes were going to make this game somehow more competitive,
4: you didn't know what you had to know You that.
3: had to be livid with the way the game turned out. I was watching that game in tandem alongside... I got the Sunday ticket. I love hanging out in my basement watching football. Watched that game alongside the Bills game, and at one point near the end of the first quarter when the Pats were winning 14-0, I said, hey, guys, when they go up 21-0, we're changing the game. Well, the They never is, got there, did they? No, the Dolphins got a scooping score off a bad snap. It was a weird, kind of fluky defensive touchdown. But otherwise... They had possession of the ball for the third time in the quarter. And when you got to the – at one point I looked over at the screen and Chris pointed out the statistic. The Patriots are winning 14-0 and had 166 yards to eight from the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> that tells the story of the game. That's it. They got railroaded. I'm sorry, seven sacks. Seven it's sacks. Like
4: Matt Moore playing quarterback.
3: Matt Moore had an adjusted – Adjusted when you take into account the yardage lost in the sacks, Matt Moore had an adjusted yardage total of just 154 yards. Man, that's Tyrod Taylor esque. Throw in three turnovers, you've pretty much rounded out the recipe for disaster against the New England Patriots. I'm I'm sorry, it's just it's scary to think that the Patriots, meanwhile, were able to roll up 196 total rushing yards. And you figure Tom Brady's supposed to be the dangerous part of their team.
4: Deion Lewis is
3: now. Their offense is balanced. And even with a defense that hasn't been up to the typical Belichick standard, they're so good on that side of the ball, that they've been able to effectively mask all of their deficiencies with just scoring points. Who knew that scoring points would win football games?
4: Well, you think about this, too. Their defense is built in the defensive backfield. That's where they've spent most of their money. They're making teams pass the ball. they're they're really playing right into what the the Patriots defense can really explicitly do, which is
3: defend the pass.
4: Well the, I don't know if the bills are the team that's gonna change that Well know. the
3: well, well the the good I, I mean <laughs> that's a tough task for any team to undertake, but I mean luckily we don't have to worry about that for a cup I mean wait, yeah wait wait oh fuck wait a minute. Oh, Chris, don't tell me, is this the, oh shit, it's the week. Oh, unfortunately, folks, we are here to give you our week 13 preview. It's going to be the Buffalo Bills at home. The time, 1 p.m. The game's going to be broadcast on CBS. Location, new era field. The weather, clear, low 40s, high 30s with a 0% chance of precipitation. And the spread is Buffalo, coming in at, I saw seven and a half, but the line is moving all over the place. We are a massive underdog this week because we are playing host to the bane of my existence. And here to help walk us through it, we have a special guest tonight as we preview our matchup with the New England Patriots. People
0: call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong.
5: Dante Skarniecki is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid.
2: Ladies
3: and gentlemen, Christian Simonelli joins us tonight. Christian, how are you doing, brother? Um, I'm always
5: doing well until I hear that introduction and then I hear myself and, you know. <laughs> just
3: and then you also sound hear really pretty bad. Oh, man. Dante Skanecchia. I laugh every time I hear that, man. (laughs) How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, Not as good as you guys are. Yeah, because you're in the playoffs. Not as good as you guys are because, once again, you're just stomping a mud hole in pretty much everybody that you played. As we usually do, we're going to run it down with the injury report. Now, it starts off with the Buffalo Bills. really not that extensive. Wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin. Knee injury. He is out. Left tackle, Cordy Glenn. Ankle injury. Doubtful. And fullback, Mike Tolbert. Hamstring injury. Questionable. Now, on the Patriots' side of the ball, things get a little bit murkier here. Tight end, Martellus Bennett. Shoulder injury. To the IR. Fullback, Nate Ebner. Knee injury. To the IR. Wide receiver, Chris Hogan. Shoulder injury. Out. Backup right tackle, Adrian Waddell. Ankle injury. Doubtful. Right tackle Marcus Cannon, ankle injury, questionable. Defensive back Matt Slater, hamstring, questionable. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy, ankle, questionable. Linebacker Trevor Riley, concussion, questionable. Defensive end Trey Flowers, rib injury, probable. And center David Andrews, illness, but probable. Now, for anyone listening to this laundry list of injuries. Sounds like us. Well, this is, this is the thing that stands out to me the most. And, and Christian, maybe you can help shed a little light on this. I mean, the injuries seem to be mounting sure. in New England. Now, in years past, people have launched a lot of criticism at the New England Patriots for being you know, habitual manipulators of the injury report. But this year, it seems like these injuries are legitimate. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not faking a lot of these. And the story out of New England this week that seems to be on a lot of different blogs and a lot of different places that I look is that these injuries to significant players are beginning to really kind of take their toll on the shape of the roster. I mean, what do you think about that as a fan?
5: Yeah, they are. Um, They really have sort of mounted the past couple of weeks with people, and it's really started to affect the backups who have become role players and for the better part, really, of the season, starters. So not only did you lose front line guys early on like Edelman and Hightower, but now you're losing you know those backups and you're losing you know guys like Hogan and then you mentioned the linebackers. So um, you know they say it's a it's a marathon and it's a battle of attrition and really like all the other teams in the league, um, they just you know they're they they're suffering a lot of injuries and they just got to grind their way through it.
3: So if you had to peg out of all the injuries that I just read off. I mean, I mean, there's some are obviously more serious than others. If you were to pick two, peg two of those injuries as being the most significant for Sunday's game against Buffalo, what would they be?
5: Um, I would actually say the tackle position. I think that Fleming uh, would have to play in, uh, if Waddle can't go. Um, Cannon is still out, so Cameron Fleming at right tackle scares the hell out of me. Uh, that being said, Waddle scared the hell out of me as well the past couple of weeks, but he actually played pretty good. So just gets back to Scar, of course, being able to, uh, you know, uh, basically make chicken uh, soup out of chicken bleep. But, um, <laughs> I think that, I think that at the end of the day, really, uh, the guys, the linebacker position, guys like Riley that, that, that have sort of started to see some time Linebacker is really, really thin. Um, you have Vannoy, you have Roberts and you haven't, an, uh, uh, really an aging David Harris. Um, so the linebacker core is really, is, is really where it's, it's taken
3: its toll. So and that kind of reminds me of us coming into Kansas city's game. You know, they were a team that started off the season really strong. I guess not really strong defensively, but their linebacker core has been you know, hit with injuries. And as their depth kind of thinned out, teams really took advantage of those backups and their backups, backups. So, I, I mean, and I don't know how much of last week's game plan, obviously, it's the Patriots. I don't expect any game plan we come up with to suddenly work like a charm. But it's a chink in the armor that I just found interesting that there's so many injuries at so many key positions for you guys. Right tackle, center, you've got linebackers who are, you know, Kyle Van Noy has really stepped up for you guys. And the fact that he's, may not play, that's significant. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, we, we always try to preview offense and defense. So on the offensive side of the ball, for me, it, the things I want to ask you about, it's all about the ground game. I mean, we all know Tom Brady is one of the most accurate quarterbacks, and one of the, he's going to finish his career as one of the winningest quarterbacks in NFL history. But it seems like the Patriots' offense is rounding into form as the unit that they thought they were building in the offseason. I mean, they went out and got Rex Burkhead, Mike Gilliesley, added them to the stable of backs they already had, in their last – you guys have had at least 95 yards rushing in all but one of your last seven games, and you had almost 200 yards on the ground against the Dolphins this past week. I mean, what are you guys doing – what are you guys doing? Is there is there anything special that you're doing to generate that type of offense or any specific formations that maybe you're starting to see develop as these games go on?
5: Um, nothing – you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Um you know, it's just that the offensive line has been run blocking probably better than they have, I'd say, in the past really like three or four years. I'm going all the way back to the year that Ridley ran for like 1,200 yards. They, they're really <laughs> starting to uh, run block very well. Devlin has played really good for them um, at the fullback position. And quite honestly, the running game really sort of took off when Gillisley became inactive. And they've really been featuring Dion Lewis the past couple of games as the lead back. So Dion Lewis is, you know, a, as we all know, a great pass catcher and a real shifty guy. But right now, he is their lead runner. He's their best runner between the tackles. He's their best runner to the outside. He's their best pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, that includes James White as well. Wow. So, It's really been all about Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead from time to time, although he's been more a factor in the passing game that he has been running. And that goes for for James White as well. But it's really been basically the Deion Lewis show for the past three weeks.
3: So now I guess I have to ask a question about that. So now you're talking about this becoming the Deion Lewis show, but they made significant investments in Rex Burkhead, and especially in Mike Gilliesley. I mean, you traded away a draft pick to get him. And then at the same time gave him a $6 million salary, which, I mean, I know the Patriots had the most cap space in the NFL, but you gave him $4 million for this year. Now, among the fans, when you see a guy that you gave away a draft pick that could have been a running back, (laughs) very well could have been another running back, and then you gave Mm -hmm. the guy $4 million and you're watching him be a healthy scratch for three straight weeks, what does the fan base think about this? I mean, are they positive? I mean, I'm assuming because you're winning games, most people don't care, correct?
5: It's that's exactly what it is. They're winning. Um, I can assure you if they were losing, you'd be talking a whole lot more about how you wasted resources on, um, you know, on, on Gillis Lee and going out and get him. And he's been a healthy and active for the past really three weeks. Um, you know, uh, they, they, they traded obviously for, uh, for Marsh, the kid from Seattle and the mm-hmm. preseason for a fifth and a seventh. BB cut him last week. Yep. I mean, Belichick just cut him. And mm. when you're winning in your nine and two, you can do those things. You know, early on, the signings really didn't seem like they were panning out the first month of the season. There was questions about Gilmore. There was questions about Gillisley. There were questions, uh, you know, about Burkhead. He wasn't playing because he was hurt. Well, you know, you get to November now and you're into December and all that stuff is really starting to figure, figure itself out. Players are starting to, you know, play and, and be comfortable in the schemes and, I just think Belichick benched him because it was really a numbers thing, number one. And number two, he's not productive, and he doesn't play special teams. So if you're only running the ball, and you're really not that good at catch, catching the ball out of the backfield because you have White and Lewis, and you're really only really good at running, uh, Belichick is going to bench you, and he doesn't care if he's paying you a full million, or he doesn't care if he gave up you know, draft picks for you. If you're not productive, you're not going to play.
3: Now see we saw we here in Buffalo saw a little bit of that. I mean, that's one of the reasons Gilliesley we let him walk. And then everyone assumed that it was because we had the backup here, Jonathan Williams, a guy we drafted in the 5th round, a guy that we thought, "Hey, you know what? He he looks like he could be a productive running back if he gets some snaps, if he gets acclimated." And instead, we allowed him we cut him and allowed him to sign with somebody else's practice squad, and he never really made an attempt hmm. to get him back. He didn't play special teams, and McDermott didn't see a whole lot of value in keeping a guy like that around if you can't contribute in all phases. So I can understand a little bit of that logic. Now, one of the other things about the, the Patriots offense that I want to bring up, because it's something interesting I noticed. Tom Brady, over the years, I've watched teams beat the Patriots by battering the hell out of Tom Brady. It's been proven that if you can get pressure in his face up the a gap and just consistently make contact with him, it has an effect on his timing. his willingness to stand in the pocket. He won't throw his deep. You know it affects the whole nine.
1: You know our friend of the show Travis uh, Wingfield had the, I believe, the tweet of the day from Sunday, uh, when he tweeted out, "Just keep hitting Brady. The scoreboard is irrelevant."
3: <laughs> well, and, but there's some, but but there really is some merit to that. According to NFL.com, the Patriots are 22nd in the NFL in sacks. That's in large part to Brady's quick delivery and just that Hall of Fame accuracy that you're getting from the guy. On the flip side of that, they've allowed the 16th most quarterback hits in the NFL. And I think it's worth noting that there is only one team ranked higher in that category that currently sits in a playoff spot. Philadelphia is ranked number 12. So I guess I got to ask, what is it? I mean, it sounds like Tom Brady's taken a beating over the course of this season so far, more than he's accustomed to. What is driving this? Is it just the offensive? Is it the injuries of the offensive line? Is it the fact that, that maybe just Marcus it, Cannon? I, or excuse me, Marcus Cannon. Marcus. <laughs> Cannon. But, I mean, I, in all honesty, what is it that you think is a, that's driving that?
5: Um, I really think it's a combination of of things. I think it's a combination of the offensive line and I think that, you know, teams know that the best way to beat the Patriots is to to not allow them to get out to a lead. The past three games, they have gotten out to fourteen nothing leads, seventeen nothing leads. Once they play from ahead, game set match. Once they're up by two possessions, the game's over.
2: Mm -hmm. That's
5: it. Teams aren't coming back. They dictate the tempo of the game. So I think that teams sort of start to sense that we can't let this slip and get this too far away from us. So, you know, let's just keep coming after them, And, you know, let's see what we can do to really, to really just to change, try to change the, you know, the game, get a turnover. The Miami game Sunday, it was a botched snap away from being 21 to nothing. You know, it was, a, it was, a, it was really an exchange mm-hmm. between Karras, the backup center, and Brady. Karras took the blame and said, I just snapped it too early. Miami picks the ball up. They go in for seven. And the game's close, you know, for about another quarter. But, I mean, that was really a up, But that was really a result of the pressure. You know, they were blitzing on that play. So I think teams are just, they're going to take a shot. What are you going to do? If you're going to sit back, he's going to carve you apart. If you blitz him, he's probably going to carve you apart too. But there's the chance that, you know, you can give him a good whack. And hopefully you can cause a
3: turnover and and I can tell you teams are really laying into it now and I mean that has to be of some concern as he gets older you know what I mean the, the, the sure guy, it is. especially considering the trade I mean I haven't had you we haven't had you on the show since we're talking about quarterbacks what about the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo? when you talk about Patriots you know Patriots fans as a whole what what is the thought process when you look at here's your aging quarterback who's still playing at a high level probably the highest level in the NFL but he's taking shot after shot after shot. And you just traded away the the youth that was supposed to be there behind him. I mean, how does that make you personally as a Patriots fan feel? Well, I'm
5: torn um, because I love Brady, obviously. Who doesn't? Um, We don't. don't.
1: We don't. I hate Tom Brady. (laughs) We hate him. Well,
5: let me rephrase that. What Patriots fan doesn't love
2: Tom
5: Brady? But... You, you, I, I am a realist here, you know, and I, he's 40 years old. He can drink all the water he wants. He can be as pliable as he could be as Gumby if he wants to be. Great. Awesome. At some point in time, the body is going to break down, and he is going to look like a guy who's in his early 40s. Now, clearly the Patriots had an asset in Garoppolo that they – there's no way they were going to franchise tag him this off-season. So Belichick made the move to get something for him. In my heart of hearts, I really think that Belichick, deep down inside, was probably expecting Tom to have some bit of a drop-off this year. It hasn't happened. He's played the best football football of his career like the past three years, really. Really since they got Jimmy. Um, and he's at a point where he made the decision that, well, okay, I've probably got Tom for another two, maybe three years. There's no way I can keep Jimmy. I'm gonna lose him this off season. I gotta get something for him and let him go. Now, the reason I say that is the timing of everything. If you had thought that Brady, you know, if you had thought that Brady was gonna fall off a cliff, but you had waited, you should have traded him last off season when his value was the highest. Mm-hmm. You got a second round pick for him. There were reports out there that Cleveland was offering their first pick, you know, number 12 in the spring. You know, those never materialized. He wasn't going anywhere. Belichick invested an awful lot of time in Garoppolo. And the quote, we all know what Tom's aging contract situation was in 2014 when they drafted Jimmy, <clears throat> is basically embedded into my brain. Belichick was expecting Brady to drop off. There's no doubt about it. He has so push game to shove. He had to make a decision, and that was a decision that he made. I think Jimmy's going to be a pretty good quarterback in the league because I think I, I think Belichick can evaluate talent, and I th- thought that Jimmy looked good for three games, but um, <sighs> it's hard to find a quarterback in this league. It's, it's all about the quarterback. I would have rather have seen them try to work out a deal and stay here. Apparently, they tried to do
3: that. Oh, and, no. And I read know. those reports where they would, didn't do it. Essentially, yeah. Jimmy's agent said, unless you can guarantee my guy starting time, we're not signing here. We're not signing here for another, to waste another season of what could be his learning process gearing up towards his prime as a quarterback to sit behind Tom shouldn't. Brady. And he shouldn't. And it's the, yeah, it's the shouldn't. smart move for his agent. I can completely understand why he did it. Now, there's a reason I asked you this question because clearly there, there's some, you understand the move, but there's a little bit of concern in your mind. And there should be, because this is what I've found in studying your defense. You know, Just taking a look at the Patriots' defense, the offensive firepower that you guys have on the field with Tom Brady is masking the fact that your defense, while it has turned around, it's not nearly as bad as it was at the beginning of the season, is still rough. I mean, your offense is leading the NFL in most major statistics. In their last seven games, you've eclipsed at least 395 total yards five times. That's absurd. But on the opposite side of the ball, Mm -hmm. you guys couldn't be farther off. You might as well be on the moon. During that seven-game stretch, your defense has allowed teams to earn more than 20 first downs four times. You're letting teams average 107 rushing yards. And you've had three quarterbacks finish with QBRs of over 80, which when you consider how much you've been blowing teams out would seem, you know what I mean? It's on a statistic. that seems like it should fit. And Mm -hmm. 16 plays of 20 or more yards. I mean, this is the most un defense I've ever seen with my own two eyes. So I got to ask, what is contributing to the secondary struggling the way that it has been this year?
5: Well, early on, it was communication. And really the fall guy was Gilmore. And it was a big to-do around here that Gilmore was not being put in a position to succeed, that he was in too much zone. (laughs) And that was really evident in the Texans game. And then it was also evident in the Panthers game early on where he was essentially made to look like a fool on a bunch of plays. And he just was out of position, just didn't look good at all. Since then, um, really the past seven games where they, I think they've, they've, Uh, averaged, you know, giving up like 17 points a game, which is basically Mm -hmm. half of what they were giving up through like the first five weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, He's essentially been on lockdown. It's, you know, Stefan, go with this guy, top receiver, shut him down. That's what he's been doing. The defense on the back end seems to have gotten a little bit better. The rush defense is a concern, and that really starts, again, I mentioned the depth at linebacker. Um, they're pretty thin there, and also they were pretty thin on the defensive line. There's just this past week, they got Malcolm Brown back, but he was out for a couple of weeks. So, again, if you're a team, you've got to get the lead against the Patriots. You're the ones that have to get control. If they get a two-score lead, if they get a three-score lead, the defense really doesn't have to do much. Um, the past couple of games, late in games, Patricia's been dialing up with cornerback blitzes and it has been trying out different stuff. And just kind of like been messing around because the just league, to see the, what the he can get away so with a lot of hand.
3: Oh yeah. Considering he's yeah. got such a big lead. He's like, Hey, yeah. can we run this type of cornerback blitz and generate pressure? Well, here's the other yep. question I had for you. So it sounds like you guys are kind of getting the communicate. You guys are ironing out the kinks, but injuries are kind of derailing that they're thinning out the talent that you have. Now, one of the things I said last week coming into the chiefs game, it was about linebackers. And I said, flat out the linebackers for the chiefs allowed more plays than most linebacker cores in the AFC. And we took advantage of that this week. I mean, specifically, we picked on Reggie Ragland. That was one of the things I picked out. We talked about it a little earlier, yeah. earlier in the show. I guess my question for you is, is there anything that you've seen you know, out of your linebackers that they've been susceptible to, whether it be play action, whether it be just coverage in the passing game? I mean, what is it about the Patriots linebacking core? Because obviously they're not perfect. What is it that you think they struggle with the most?
5: Um, I'd I'd say what most linebackers, of course, struggle with, but them more than others, is really those pass catching backs out of the field. Um, If I'm the Bills, I want to get David Harris in a position where he's got to go sideline to sideline. He can't run anymore. He's a vulnerability. So if if he's out there and, you
3: know, try to cover LaShawn McCoy in the flat. If he can get out there and try, yeah. to, you want to put him in positions where he's trying to cover your tight ends shallow and your, you know, you're running LaShawn McCoy coming out of the backfield. So you you think that that could be something of a concern to the Patriots?
5: Absolutely. Another guy is a Landon Roberts. Um, he's more of a thumper, more of a, a you know a, a first second down type of guy. Again, if you have him up there on early downs, you expose him to the linebackers. There are certainly some plays that can be made. Kyle Van has been playing pretty good. Um, as of late, but he has a tendency to to sort of be overly aggressive sometimes and sort mm-hmm. of overrun some plays. That's another guy that you could target. So uh, a position that wasn't deep lost its best player in Hightower and has continued to lose players basically on almost a weekly basis at the position. So if there's a place to attack him, it's, it's right there in the middle of
3: that defense. So now usually this is where I would kick in and I'd say, hey, this is how if I was a GM or an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, these are the things that I would do to best attack this football team. But we're talking about the friggin' Patriots. We, it, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I say. It almost seems like it would take an act of God for us to finally get over the hump and come up with a game <laughs> plan that somehow beats the New England Patriots. So we're going to move right along into the predictions. Simonelli, where do you see this game going on Sunday? Uh,
2: I,
5: I sort of just see the see it the way that it's been going the past couple of weeks. Um, I think they'll get off to a fast start, and I think that that they'll cover the spread easily. I see a, a you know a, a, probably a two touchdown win, um, even though it's on the road. And I think that Buffalo, you know, will get up forward and play well at home. And you got the Patriots coming to town, and you're fighting for a playoff spot, but. At the end of the day, they, they've really just been bludgeoning teams the past couple of weeks. And wherever you're weak, as we all know, wherever you're weak, Belichick's going to go right after it. He did it against Denver. He didn't go anywhere near Talib or Harris, the cornerbacks. He targeted their linebackers, and ultimately their safeties with Gronk, and they destroyed them. So wherever you guys are weak on defense, I know that the, the back end is play good with Micah Hyde, and um, you know obviously you got the rookie White at the corner, who's been playing pretty good. But, um, Pretty good. You know, Belichick isn't going to bang his head against the wall. That's for sure.
3: I'll tell you this: you guys would kill for Trey White on your roster. You would kill for him. They would. <laughs> I Like? Him. Uh, no, I'll say this: on off. You said something earlier that I almost I almost felt like the little giants. Like when you were like, oh well, we'll t- you know, whatever your, you know, we we sent Stefan Gilmore out there to cover your number one wide receiver, and he just takes him away. Yeah, well, the joke's on you. We don't have a number one wide receiver. Boom. Oh, <laughs> say something to me now, Simonelli. Chris, prediction. Come on.
5: Hey, listen, Z- Zay Jones was levitating last week. Zay <laughs> Jones. You don't have no love for Zay
3: Jones at all. That was a that that was a glitch in the matrix. We all got to see it.
1: I think pretty this, cool. I think this game is gonna is gonna turn out the Bills have as much chance winning this game as Drew, you do of surviving marriage, and same thing to you, Simonelli. Oh, wow. We have zero <laughs> chance. <laughs> zero chance. It's gonna be I just say thirty one to thirteen New England.
5: <laughs> Sounds about right.
3: <laughs> All right. I I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Doing it. Why don't you just drink? The bu- the, why don't you just drink the Seagrams <laughs> now? Oh God, do it now. I'm going to call because I have to. I cannot sit. I I know that logic is telling me that eh, you don't have a, you don't have a shot in hell. And whenever I root against the Bills, they find a way to win the game. And when I think that they have it, they don't. I'll tell you what. This seems like a game that they don't have. But the hell with it. It's one Seagrams. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. Oh man, because your defense is porous, I'm gonna call it a 27-24 win for the Buffalo Bills at home.
5: You're wow, the Bills circle the wagons. Circle
3: the wagons. Hey, we're we're gonna channel our inter, our 2011. We're gonna pull it together. You guys didn't think you guys <laughs> didn't think Fitzpatrick could beat you either. And guess what? That happened with guys like Drayton Florence as our cornerbacks. Well, guess what? EJ Gaines. And Trey White are way better than what we had in the secondary at that point. I'll take this squad and I'll put it up against yours. And eh, win or lose, I'm sure I'll see you in hell, Simonelli. <laughs> yeah,
5: absolutely. I'll keep the seat nice and warm for you. All right. I love you, man.
3: Simonelli,
1: where can we find you on Twitter?
5: Uh, at Chris with the TIAN. So follow me for all your Patriots uh, you know, basically just uh, wonky homerness, please. If you're a Patriots fan
3: and Bills fans, I'll tell you, you can follow this guy. His his the things he tweets out are pretty funny. As someone who is disgusted, like is, I feel physically ill. Like I was saying earlier, I couldn't watch the tape. It was like bleaching the eyes trying to rewatch Patriots games. I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it in preparation for tonight's show. But, he, you know, what? I can follow Christian. I like the guy, and he's not such a homer that it makes you physically ill. So go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter. Christian, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Again, follow Christian Simonelli on Twitter, at Chris, with a T-I-A-N. Always a good listen when he comes on our show. Knows his stuff about Boston and speaking Boston.
4: <laughs> and speaking. And he with- definitely has to do the Boston
3: Speak Oh, dude, Scott Dante Skanekia,
4: Sk- Sk- Skanekia, Marcus Cannon, the Marcus, offensive line. Fucking, I fucking love the fucking guy. Fucking firefighters.
3: I fucking love the guy. You know who else I love is Wise Guys Pizzeria, guys. Before we get out of here, I gotta tell you. So they're doing a couple of promotions that I want all of you guys to try to get in on. First and foremost, toys for tots. From now till December fifteenth, you donate a toy worth approximately fifteen dollars, and you're gonna get a $15 gift certificate for a free pizza from Wise Guys Pizzeria. How can you argue with that? It's free pizza. And it's Wise Guys. It's freaking delicious. It's, it's literally pizza in exchange for a toy for a disadvantaged youth somewhere in the city of Buffalo. I, I mean, this is these guys over here at Wise Guys, the entire crew, JC Felt, their owner, he's a community guy, born and raised in South Buffalo, and all he's trying to do is make the neighborhood better. Go out there. Go help. Go help. And I, what what we're gonna do is I've got in the next couple of days I'm gonna announce a little bit of a uh, I guess a fundraiser and also I'm gonna sweeten the pot a little bit for him. Well, I'm like gonna sweeten I'm pots. I'm gonna announce a giveaway for everybody who decides to show up and uh, donate to the cause.
1: I'm gonna ruin that now. It's a 12 pack of Seagrams. <laughs> it's not a 12 pack.
3: It is, of and they're all
1: sassy. They're all
4: sassy oranges. <laughs> There's so, no uh,
3: Seagrams involved, folks. Keep keep glued to our Twitter account at Rock Report. I'm, I'm gonna be tweeting out the uh you know, you know, I'm gonna sweeten the pot here. I want everyone to get involved because it's it's the holidays. Come on. Hey, sp- hey, in the spirit of the holidays, they also have another another promotion over at Wise Guys called Pie It Forward. You take the name of a family member, a friend, neighbor, etc., who you think could use a free pizza this time of year, someone who maybe can't always afford to go out and get themselves one or whatever the case may be every day they'll draw from the submitted names and present the winner with a coupon for one free large pizza i mean i mean the, between we here in buffalo are the city of good neighbors and those guys over at wise guys do their best to embody that go check out their website today there's going to be a link in the description also nate locked on bill's podcast what are you guys working on over there
4: i got I got my, I got our our guys, our, our dude, Mark Schofield, will be up on uh, th- Wednesday evening. It'll be co- it'll it'll be simulcast. That's what we do over at Lockdown Bills. We we bring you that simulcast live action. So it'll be on YouTube on Wednesday night. It'll be up at uh lockdownbills.com and up at locked on bills um up at iTunes on Thursday um for our our crossover version where we're gonna talk a little bills, a little patriots talk about each side of the ball, um, and then Mark and I actually have a, uh, a pretty unique project where we're working on solo right now, too, um, up at WGR550.com. We are uh, we created a, a podcast called Intentional Scouting, um, where we are really... I like the name. Yeah, it's I a like good the name. name, and uh, each of us, uh, each week, each week and a half or so, um, we're going to be breaking down a college quarterback, and also, not only are we going to break down the college quarterback, we're going to... Bring in another professional quarterback in terms of how we can compare the college quarterback coming out to a pro to a pro quarterback. And we're also gonna have a ton of guys from Bleacher Report. Uh, John Ledyard's gonna come on. We've got a we've got a kind of a cool setup we've got going on. So you're gonna wanna awesome. you keep up uh, at wgr 5 Intentional Scouting, that's the name that you're gonna wanna pay I like the to. name. And if you like Mark Schofield, which if you don't, you're yeah, you're screwed stupid in the head. Um, you're high. then uh, it, right. So you'll wanna pay attention.
1: Now there's one other thing that we should get off. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we get off the ground here, and. Hey! Happy Festivus, everyone! That time of year, dude. It's Festivus oh, for the rest it's of us. coming. Yes, we're a month
3: away. So guys, we got to start pumping. My this. birthday
4: is four days after Christmas. Didn't Would you
3: you, what you guys need to do is start sending us, whether it's on Twitter at Rockpal Report, by Gmail at RockpalReport716 at gmail.com, or on Reddit. And just the rock pile report. Send us your grievances with the 2017 mm. season. I mean, Jeez. that's what that's you what Festivus really, is all about—the really, yeah. airing of grievances. You're really
4: opening up a can of fucking worms. And
3: guys. every <laughs> single year, every year since the since the inaugural year of our podcast, we've celebrated Festivus, and this year will be no different. So send us your woes, send us your complaints, and we will read the best of them here on the air. And the best complaint that we get all year gets long free Seagram's. gets a free $20 gift certificate to Wise Guys Pizzeria. And,
4: and, and, a, Seagram's. and se- se- a Seagrams. There will be, se- be a Seagrams involved. There, se- just know yeah. that Chris <laughs> is probably going to make some chicken wing dip. And you'll also probably get a Calypso tossed in there. I don't know. Or maybe
1: it'll be Calypso flavored pizza. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I could just dump the Seagrams <laughs> on a pizza.
3: Jesus. Guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We appreciate the support. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Nate Gear from WGR five hundred and fifty. And this has been the Rockpile Report.